In confusion and uncertainty, there emerges a guiding light, a beacon that cuts through the darkness. Welcome to Beacon of Truth with your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Beacon of Truth with Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. I'm so honored and blessed to be with all of you today. Uh, Beacon of Truth, a brand new show just starting this week on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. And in addition to the United States, we're also airing in Great Britain and Ireland and the Philippines. So thank you for all of our listeners joining us from those amazing countries. And the purpose of the show, Beacon of Truth, is to help bring people to a deeper love and intimacy with Jesus Christ and the Catholic faith. By doing what St. Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. And truth is not relative. Truth is not a social construct. Truth is not a philosophy. Truth is not an idea. Truth is a person. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And uh, yesterday we had an awesome show. We talked about loved ones, family members, most especially children, who are away from the church. We talked about some of the reasons why they're away and what kinds of things we can do. And boy, we, we didn't get to all the callers yesterday. Uh, because This is such a deep, uh, rich, and relevant topic in the life of the church today. So, you know what I'm going to do? I think what we're going to do is we're going to return to that theme of um, evangelization, effective evangelization, specifically with family members away from the church. I think we're going to hit that by probably like once a month. You know, just like a a, a time that we could just come back and visit that on a monthly basis and, and break it open. Because, again, we just, scratch, we just scratched the surface yesterday. There is so much to talk about, and this is so important. It's on so many hearts. It's literally the number one thing that I hear from people when I travel, um, no matter where I am in the United States and even internationally, that's like the number one issue. Uh, Deacon, my child's away from the church. It's such, it causes such a pain and dismay in the hearts of parents. So, yeah, that's, let's keep talking about that. But for today is Word of God Wednesday, so grab your Bibles, because we're going to break open God's Word. If you want to be part of the conversation, call us, 833-288-3986. Again, that's 833-288-3986, or you can email us, beacon, with a B, beacon at EWTN.com, and you know, Lent is starting up uh, next week. In fact, a week from today uh, is Ash Wednesday and also Valentine's Day. Interesting combo for uh, 2024. Uh, and uh, if you want to see where I'm going to be speaking, because I was just sharing with um, uh, my main man, producer Ace, uh, what my schedule is going to be like uh, all the way up until um, Palm Sunday. So just go to my website, deaconharold.com, click on schedule in the page header, because you know what? I'd love to meet you in person. I, I'm always um, edified and grateful and thankful for so many of the EWTN family 
and uh, and eat and people who just you know listen to EWTN that aren't even Catholic, that just listen, and in the, and they come to to hear and, and to see me speak. I just it's so grateful to to meet you. And and guess what? They bring their Bibles. The Protestants who come, they bring, <laughs> yes, thank you, Jesus. They bring their Bibles. That's awesome. So on Word of God Wednesday, we're going to talk about just to get you prepared. First Corinthians chapter eleven, uh, verses twenty to thirty. Now we're going to do some verses in, in, in uh, chapter 10 to kind of set it up. But 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20 to 30. And again, we're connecting the Word of God to our everyday life. So the, the, the question that we're always going to ask on Word of God Wednesday is how do we live the Word? And with us, as usual, is our uh, my main man, producer Ace McKay, our call screener, Matt Gabinski, and our social media person, Charles Beery. Yeah, I love the fact as we get into this, you know, when you talk about your live events, one of the things as we're educating people on what this show is about is when you're on the road, there are going to be times we get to bring some of those live events to Beacon of Truth. So they get to hear these nuggets. So before they see you, they already understand why people are flooding these events to hear you speak live because, again— you're a dynamic deacon, so I can brag on you a little bit. You it would sound weird for you to brag on yourself, but you're dynamic for a reason. I mean, you get hyped, you get into God's Word, you get into the Psalms, and so we want people to get a little taste of that. So that'll be some of the opportunities that we'll get as this show continues. Yeah, you know, and um, uh, I, I want to do this show live every day, but with, with my schedule, um, there are going to be times, and I'm going to do everything in my power to limit um, that uh, where I can't do the show live, but there are going to be times where it just can't be helped. And um, so, yeah, so we're going to play some uh, some excerpts from some live engagements that I've done in the past, uh, which I'm excited about. And let, let me know what, let me just talk a little bit about this whole dynamic deacon, where that name came from, because it certainly did not come from I me. I am curious, honestly. Yeah, you know, because it, it, it didn't, it, I did not make that up. There's no way... I would ever refer myself as the dynamic. So, so what happened was when I was making a transition out of my secular job into speaking full time, there was an um, amazing woman of God who had a little kind of publishing publicist company, and uh, Christina Erbman. She won't mind me using her name. She's uh, they live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Amazing husband, beautiful family, um, and so she uh, said, you know, because I was calling my apostolate Aram Cordis which is Latin for ear of the heart, which comes from the first line of the rule of St. Benedict, obsculata ophidlii precepta madristi inclina autumn codis tuii. Listen, my sons, to the master's precepts and incline the ear of your heart. And I thought, oh, that's cool. So Christine was like, well, wait a minute. Um, first of all, no one knows what that means. Uh, no one can pronounce it. No one associates it with you. We have to come up with something that's a little more catchy, a little mm -hmm. more, you know, that people connect with you. I said, well, you're, that's, you're, that's your area of expertise. Again, really solid Catholic. So I said, she goes, let me pray about it. Let me think about it and get back to you. So a little later, she, you know, a couple of days later, she calls back and says, okay, I got it. Dynamic deacon. And I said, no. Well, that, that sounds arrogant. Like I, like I walk around with a big D on my chest with a cape or something like right. that. Dynamic D. I'm like, no. She goes, she goes no, that's like, you know, but when you speak, you are dynamic. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, but I'm really an introvert, which is actually true, by the way, everyone. I am a pretty intense in introvert because people forget I was in a monastery. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's a reason for that. And I enjoy being in a monastery, actually. Um, but so I'm pretty, but when I'm speaking, the, the, it's the joy of the Lord. 
It's the joy of the Holy Spirit that's coming out. You know, my passion mm -hmm. for the Catholic faith and for Jesus Christ and, and for the beauty of truth, that's what's coming out. And I, I guess I, you can call it dynamic. And so, you know, I, trust, I trusted her. Um, again, beautiful woman of God and, and, uh, and great Catholic. So I said, okay, let's, let's, go, let's go with it. And that's how it started. Yeah. And it, it, it kind of caught on. And I, I, I guess I kind of don't mind it now, but it's still like, ugh, dynamic. Yeah, but what's <laughs> think, great is you, even though you're introverted, like you get your extroverted moments and then you need to like have introverted moments to recharge and regroup, you know, because even as an extrovert, I have my introverted moments. So I'm like, all right, I need to just be in my chair with a bowl of popcorn and like nothing but maybe some Scrabble. Like, I, so I totally get it. So you, you use it all at work and then you're like, ah, okay, Lord, give me a second to, he does say to rest. I think we're supposed to be encouraged to do that more frequently. Well, Jesus says, you know, even says he went off uh, to, uh, by himself for a while to rest. Mm -hmm. You know, we just, we just uh, heard that in the gospel and, and what happened? No one, uh, no one would leave him alone. Yeah. Everybody's looking for you. He couldn't get five minutes to himself. Everybody's looking for you. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like that sometimes too. You know, I try to go to when I when I go to parishes, I try always, always, always to find Adoration Chapel, and really hang out there. You know, sometimes like, where's Deacon Harold at? Where's the, you check the chapel and hey, people are looking for you. I'm like, oh man. <laughs> what do you do to chill? Like when you are like when you have a downtime at home, what what does that look like for you? Yeah, so um, as as weird as this sounds, I like trains, railroads. So I'm a, I'm what they call a foamer. Mm -hmm. That's like someone who foams at the mouth when they see a train. So I go train <laughs> watching. I know it's weird. No, but I, I, but I grew up in the Northeast Corridor, Penn Station, New York. I grew up all around trains, and my scoutmaster, Doctor Tobe, um, was a, a great rail fan. So I love trains and and I, and play guitar. You know, I saw my guitar plugged in downstairs and amp my effects and stuff, and mm -hmm. I just noodle around and, and and play around. So I'll take a break from working go down there for play for 15 20 minutes if there's a song i'm interested in and kind of learn it a little bit you know and and that's really it i mean just, I, besides date nights with my wife and sure and hanging out and stuff like that but yeah that's i'm a pretty actually simple guy i doesn't you know, I, I don't really like to do much i just you know yeah. i'm just i'm just kind of boring but no, I don't believe not, that. that. No, that, oh, I yes. don't believe that for a second. <laughs> not for a second. But you can you can believe that about yourself if you want. That, all right, all right. Well, today is a uh, Word of God Wednesday. When we come back. We're gonna uh, continue our introduction of the Psalms, right? And we're gonna we're gonna talk about that as well. So give us a call 833-288-3986 or email us beacon at ew10.com. Tell you great bumper music on Beacon of Truth with Deacon Harold Burke Sivers on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you want to join us for Word of God Wednesday, give us a call 833-288-3986 or you can email us beacon at EWTN.com. Of course, while you do that, make sure you subscribe and find out more about the EWT and Vatican Bureau from Rome to your home. Easy to find. You can follow us on YouTube. Just search EWTN, Facebook, Instagram, and now X. Of course, uh, easy to find, too, again, when you go to EWTN.com so you don't miss out on what is happening and also get in what's happening from the Vatican. 
And with that, you know it is time to talk about the Psalms, the wisdom of the Psalms. And so what we're going to do in this segment is we're going to take a closer look at the Psalms. You know, we've been saying for the past couple of days, the Psalm is the hymnal of the Jewish people. And it's something that we sing or say in every holy sacrifice of the Mass. The Psalms, or, or Samoy in Greek, or Mizmor in Hebrew, is songs sung to a lyre, so they're meant to be sung. Now, yesterday, we looked at some of the uh, the Todah, or, or uh, Thanksgiving Psalms. We looked at uh, the, some of the historical Psalms, Psalms of Forgiveness. We looked at the Shigayons Psalms, lyrical poems composed under strong and passionate emotion. We looked at Hallel Psalms, or Praise Psalms. We looked at Messianic Psalms of Fulfillment written by David, and we're going to be breaking open these psalms in detail as as we continue um, uh, with the show, you know, day after day. So really looking forward to that. Today, I want to give a little brief liturgical history of the psalms. You know, because sometimes you, it's always good to look back to see where you came from so you can have clear steps moving forward. So the psalms of the Jewish hymnal are composed somewhere around the time of 1000 BC and are completed around the 2nd century BC. So about a couple hundred years before Christ is when the last of the Psalms were, were written. And uh, what you notice first in the Psalms, it, uh, you'll see these um, what they call prescripts uh, um, in the Psalms. And again, in the Masoretic text, that's the, the Jewish version of the Psalms, um, they, they count as verses of the psalm. And so what, what we see, and you'll see like, you'll see these names, you'll see David, Asaph, sons of Korah, Jedithan, Ezraites, Moses, Solomon. What's going on here? So basically David directed the chief Levites to appoint men to serve as superintendents of the musical guild of the Jewish temple. All right, so the Levites, remember the Levites were in charge of worship. They were the the priestly clan, so there's the 12 tribes of Levi. So let's see what I do at the top of my head. Uh, uh, um, Manasseh, Reuben, Simeon, uh, Judah, um, Dan, Benjamin, Levi, Asher, Zebulun, uh, Issachar, uh, uh, Zebulun, Issachar, if, uh, Naphtali, and Gad. I think that's all 12. Um, and there's a 13th tribe, the tribe of Levi. And the Levi was the, the priestly tribe that served the other tribes. And the Levites were composed of the high priests, the priests, and the Levites, who were the deacons. So sometimes I, that can get a little bit confusing when people say Levites, they think, well, they're the priests. And yes, they're in the tribe of Levi, but the Levites, by name, that when you're talking about the three levels, the three uh, tiers of, of Levi's, of, of tribal Levi, the Levites were the, actually the deacons. Um, and we see that in Numbers chapter 18, for example. So David wrote more than half of the Psalms. Um, the Psalms are broken into five books. And it's, it's designed to kind of mirror the first five books of the Bible or the Torah. So you have the, or the Pentateuch. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so the Psalms are broken into five books that kind of mirror the, the, the five books of the law. Well, these are five books um, that are not, it's not recent to any law, but looks at salvation history. 
in a sense, how God planned to save us in these five books. And so David is the only author who has psalms in all five of the books. The only psalmist that appears in all the books are David. Uh, again, he wrote more than In fact, the first, so the, how, how do they broken down? Book one is Psalm 1 to 41. Then book two is Psalm 42 to 72. Then uh, 73 to 89, book three. 89 to 106, book four. Then 107 to 150 is book five. Um, and and uh, so we see David wrote all the Psalms, or at least they're attributed to David, all the Psalms in book one. So the first 41 Psalms are, are, are attributed to David, even though the prescript may not say a Psalm of David. If you look at scholarship regarding the Psalms, I think it's widely agreed that those first 41 Psalms are written by David. Um, and then we have another person called Asaph. Okay, Asaph. Asaph in Hebrew means gather. Okay, so we see uh, uh, Psalms of Asaph. Psalm 50, for example, um, is Asaph. Then we have Psalms uh, 73 to 83 are also written by uh, Asaph as well. Um, uh, that, again, that means to gather. Uh, and we have the sons of Korah. So Korah means baldness in Hebrew. And um, if that name sounds familiar, where Korah rebelled against Moses and Aaron in, in Numbers chapter 16, um, verses, so the first few verses, like 1 to 3 or 1 to 4 in Numbers 16, we see the what's called the Korah Rebellion. And as a result of the Korah Rebellion, uh, it says that the ground opened and Korah and its family went down alive to Sheol. So the ground opened and swallowed them up. They went down to Sheol, the, the abode of the dead. The followers of Korah were swallowed up by fire from heaven. The only ones who survived were the sons of Korah. Not the biological sons, but kind of the, the, um, the followers of, 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 of Korah uh, who did not rebel. They survived. We see them in Numbers chapter 26, verse 11. And so it's these sons of Korah who also uh, uh, wrote some of the Psalms or, or put music to, to some of the Psalms as well. And then we see Jedithan. Uh Jedithan means lauder or praiser in Hebrew. Uh, and we see his inf influence in Psalms 39, 62, and 77. Now, these Psalms weren't necessarily written by Jedithan, but he was one of the people that were given the Psalm, and then uh, he was asked to put it to music. Right? Then we have the Ezraites. So the Ezraites are a clan within the tribe of Levi. And we see Psalm 88 is Haman, and Psalm 89 is Etan. So Haman... Or in English to that, that would be Herman. Haman means faithful. Interesting, he's the son of Joel and the grandson of the prophet Samuel. <laughs> Interestingly enough. So the, the, the writer of uh, Psalm, or the one who put the music, because that actually Psalm 88 is written by the sons of Korah, but they gave that to Haman to put music to. So we see, and his surname was the singer, uh, Psalm 88. 89 Ethan or Ethan or uh, another English translation would be Nathan. His name means firm, lasting, solid, or um, permanent. And uh, he is the son of Cushiah. And uh, uh, so we see his influence as well. Psalm 90 we see is attributed to Moses. And there are a couple of Psalms attributed to Solomon. Psalm 127 
uh, and that's within a, a group of Psalms um, uh, uh, that will that will talk about Psalms one twenty to one thirty four. Uh, it's a wonderful group of Psalms, and Psalm has one twenty seven as well as seventy two. Although seventy two is about Solomon, but probably most likely written by David about his son Solomon. But it says of Solomon, so it could be either one. So one twenty seven to seventy two. Uh, if you want to see the full list of all of these um, musicians in the musical guild, First Chronicles fifteen, sixteen to twenty two. That's First Chronicles fifteen, sixteen to twenty two gives us uh, gives us the list. So, um, uh, what do you think in there, Ace? Well, as you know, we've kind of you know done this introductory to the Psalms this week, and I, I love it because it's kind of refreshed from my early days. You know, growing up Baptist, we had Sunday school on Sunday where we would break these down, and the the early Psalms didn't necessarily always speak to me, but the what we would call the book, the second book, was always taught to me at that age as that it's for the outcast, which I have always been able to connect with. I think we all can connect with a verse that speaks right to where we are in our darkest. And that's what I love about those middle books. Uh, Even now, as I go back and reread them, because I remember as we talked earlier this week, when you reread a verse after years or months, even of, you know, experiencing God working in your life, you understand and translate things differently because you finally understand it, or it hits differently based on where you are with him or in life. And so those that those uh, chapters from 42, I think, to 70 or 72 is book two, and it's for the outcast. So if, if the first few psalms there don't really speak to you, if you haven't ever read them, maybe start with that book two, because I think we all can connect with where we are as outcast. Yeah, and uh, that that's a great point. And, and that, that's the whole that's the whole thing. We're looking at some historical context so that when we dive into the Psalms, you'll have a better understanding. These are human. These are human beings who wrote these Psalms to glorify God. Yeah. Right. So this is a beautiful reminder that everything that we should be doing in our life is to glorify God. Mm. Right. Psalm 115. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name. Give the glory. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, the, the Psalm 120 to 134 or the Songs of Ascents or often called the Gradual Psalms. We're going to take a look at, at those. These were Psalms that were sung by worshipers as they ascended the road to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Passover and Leavened Bread, the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And these were songs that they sung, you know, as they were worshiping. So same thing with us. You know, we sing these songs in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Mm-hmm. We sing these songs in the Liturgy of the Hours or in the Divine Office. You know, so it's a wonderful way to engage our hearts and our minds and connect our lives more deeply to the life of Christ in and through these beautiful songs. Yeah, and you bring up a good point, too, because we have to be reminded that, you know, these people in the Bible are not perfect. They're flawed individuals just like we are. There's this misconception that, you know, these characters in the Bible are just holier than thou and they got it right and I can never live up to them. No, actually, they got it mostly wrong. And so you get to watch them live that. And then as they write these letters and write these encouraging sermons, you're like, okay, I see their flaws. I'm like David or I'm like Moses. Right, exactly. And that's the whole point. You want to see yourself in God's word. You want to see yourself in the pages of Scripture. Amen. And uh, and with that, 
uh, we, we prepare now to move to the last segment of the show. We're going to talk about uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20 to 30 on Word of God Wednesday. You are listening to Beacon of Truth with your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 833-288-3986. Yeah, hello and welcome back to Beacon of Truth with Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. And the show team is in the house. Our producer, Ace McKay, our call screener, Matt Gabinski, and our social media expert, Charles Berry. If you want to be part of the show today on Word of God Wednesday, give us a call, 833-288-3986, or email us, beacon at EWTN.com. I want to say congratulations to one of our EWTN radio family members, Sioux Land Catholic Radio, 88.1 FM in Sioux City and Storm Lake, Iowa, is celebrating 16 years with us this week. So congratulations to Ann and Lisa and their great team there at Sioux Land Catholic Radio. And, of course, from all of us here at EWTN, happy anniversary. All right. Yeah, congratulations and happy anniversary. That's awesome. So, um, so Word of God Wednesday, we're going to about to break open God's Word. So grab your Bibles and open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20 to 30. A couple things to, to start off. First of all, what version of the Bible am I using? <laughs> okay, so if you're watching on uh, YouTube, you can see I'm using the, well, you can't hardly see it. You can hardly see the words. It's so worn. Uh, it's the Ignatius Holy Bible Revised Standard Edition. So RSVCE, Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition. Catholic Edition meaning it has all of the books, um, uh, including all the books of the Old Testament. Um, uh, so um, uh, this, you know, there's some books that the Protestant Bible, we have you know 74 books, they have 66 books, and or 70, we have 72 two books they have six six books and why is that or oh, 73 books so we can talk about that and we probably will in a later show but um i'm using one that has all of the uh, books in the old testament in it and it's pretty worn as you can see this is pretty awesome i use this a lot and it's got tons of highlights and underlines and um uh and just markings and uh, i have i don't know i must have 15 markers in here like bookmark markers in here to mark certain pages that i go to frequently when i'm giving talks um this is just like uh it's well worn and well loved for sure um and and why are we doing first corinthians chapter uh 11 to start our first uh word of god wednesday well you know coming out of the pandemic and uh you know and even before the pandemic the numbers were just really bad as far as the number of people who believe that Jesus Christ uh, was present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, you know, um, uh, it's, it was it's, uh, it was like sixty nine percent of people did not believe that Jesus Christ was present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. And that was before the pandemic, before. So imagine what it's like after the, after the pandemic, which is why I am so incredibly grateful to the uh, U.S. bishops for emphasizing Christ's presence, real presence, body, blood, soul, divinity, Eucharist uh, for three years 
Um, and this year, of course, at the Eucharistic Congress was kind of like the highlight of the uh, emphasis of three years of Christ present in the Eucharist. I, I think we need to get back to the basics. I think, and I'm praying that this is the beginning of a Eucharistic renaissance, a Eucharistic revival uh, for our faith in the United States and for all people. You know, get back to the basics. Jesus gave himself to us as a gift, not a sign, not a symbol, but his, but truly his real presence. So I want to set this up a little bit by looking at what St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So flip back a page in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread which we break is not a participation in the body of Christ because there is one bread. We who are many are one body for we all partake of the one bread. Right? So, so here Paul is using the language of, uh, of, uh, bread, um, uh, and, and wine, uh, to describe cross body and blood. Now you can look at this and say, well, this is, this could be symbolic, the cup of blessing, which we bless is not a participation in the blood of Christ. So um, by particip- so we, we as Catholics would see this by participating in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Um, it is a participation in the, in the blood of Christ. And by receiving Christ in the Eucharist, it is a participation in the body of Christ. And it's in that participation that makes us one, that makes us a family, that makes us a community. Uh, of believers, uh, centered and focused around the Eucharist. Uh, and he says, he goes on in verse 21, you cannot, verse uh, chapter 10, verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake at the table of the Lord and the table of demons. All right, so coming together as Christ's people around the table of his, of his, of his body and blood you know, we, we can't do that. We can't, we can't live one kind of way when we're in church and live another kind of way when we're outside of church. You know, we're, we're not, we're not, we don't have multiple personality disorder in the church. You know, uh, what, what brings us together, unites us, is Christ himself. And Christ has given this sign, the, the greatest sign of unity, all the sacraments um, uh, are signs of unity, are signs of, of oneness, are signs of closeness with Christ. But it is the Eucharist where he actually gives us his body, blood, soul, and divinity. So you can't participate in that and choose to live a lifestyle that is antithetical to a way of living as a Catholic. You can't receive the Eucharist and then go out and live and do whatever you want and then come back and receive the Eucharist again, especially without receiving communion, which we're going to talk about here in a second. So that's how Paul sets this up. Now, when we look at 1 Corinthians, what I want to look at, again, is starting at verse 20. So here's what was happening. Uh, when the people were assembling, they, they were assembling as a church, but they could not assemble in a church because there were no churches, physical churches at that time, because it was illegal to be a follower of Jesus. It was illegal to be a Christian. So the places where they gathered were either in the catacombs or in people's homes. That's where they gathered to celebrate the Eucharist. So we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, look at verse 18. Just a couple verses before 20, verse 18. For 
in the first place. When you assemble as a church, he's talking about when this people gathers together as a worshiping community. Okay? So now look at verse 20. When you meet together, is it not the Lord's Supper that you eat? Because here's what's going on. So remember, Paul said there's no slave, there's no free, there's no black, there's no white, there's no man. There's what, we're all one in Christ. And so when the community of faith came together, it didn't matter what your social status was. It didn't matter what color you was. It didn't matter your standing within society. What, what, what mattered was you were a follower of Christ. And, we, and all, everyone came together. Now, they would bring food because there was something called the agape meal. And this was a meal that they celebrated after celebrating uh, the, the Eucharist. And there was a distinction made because sometimes people want to say, you know, they want to um, uh, confuse it and say, well, they were kind of both together uh, you know, in one ceremony. No. And you're going to see why here in a second. Paul makes a clear distinction. So what's hap- what was supposed to happen was they, people would bring food. Because remember, there were people who were more wealthy, who were a little more affluent, and they would bring food and drinks to share with the people who had nothing after the Mass was over. So it's kind of an early church version of coffee and donuts, okay? And so they would bring this food, they would bring the drink, and they would have Mass, and they would have this agape meal, agape celebration as a community of faith afterward. So, But what's happening is this. Um, He says, when you meet together, is it not the Lord's Supper that you eat? So here we have Paul saying, you assemble as a church, and when you assemble as a church, it is the Lord's Supper that you eat, okay? We're calling the, 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 what happened at the Last Supper. So here, now Paul describes the problem. This liturgical abuse. It's been going all the way back since the early, since the early church. Here's, now he describes the problem. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, while one is hungry and another is drunk. So during Mass, people were eating and drinking. They're like, oh, you know what? Oh, I'm, I'm hungry. I can't wait till after Mass. So instead of waiting, they were eating and drinking uh, before or, or coming to Mass, already drunk. That was the issue. And so what does Paul say? You know, because, you know, you know St. Paul, he did not miss words. And this is one of his strongest rebukes in all of his letters. He said, For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, while one is hungry and another is drunk. So while you're eating, some people are getting drunk during Mass, some people are already drunk at Mass, and meanwhile you have people here who are are hungry and poor, and and, and Paul's, this is the problem that's being described to Paul. And he's saying, look what he says in, in verse 23, what? What an exclamation, what? Do you, uh, here we go. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Now you see the distinction. Paul says when we assemble as a church, we are here for the Lord's Supper. If you want to eat a regular meal, you have your own houses to do that in. So he makes a clear distinction. We are not here just to eat and drink. We are here to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the problem is you are not treating the Lord's Supper with the dignity and respect that it deserves. You are just going ahead and treating this like if it's just a regular meal. That's Paul's point. 
using Paul's own language, not Deacon Harold's language. This is Paul's own language. He, he continues, or do you despise the church of God? Huh? So acting this way, and acting this way, getting drunk and and and, and eating before, uh, before uh, during mass, he, he says. Uh, you humiliate, you despise the church of God or humiliate those who have nothing. So meanwhile, the people here are supposed to be following what's going on at Mass. They're breaking open the word. And they're, and they're you know, if, if you look at um, paragraph uh, 1345 um, in the catechism, you'll see a letter from uh, uh, Justin Martyr, a partial letter from Justin Martyr to the Emperor Antonius Pius explaining what Christians did. There was word. And there was this, the, 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 the Eucharist, the Word and Eucharist, Liturgy Word, Liturgy Eucharist. That was 155 A.D., 155 A.D. This is what Paul's describing here. So other people are looking, instead of focusing on Mass, they're like, oh my goodness, I'm hungry. And look at that person eating. So their focus is moving away from Christ to this distracting activity that's happening during Mass. And Paul says, what shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Wow. Paul is mad. Let's just be real. Paul is upset with what's going on here. And he's not making any bones about it. He's upset. Now, what's the connection? I get upset. We all get upset when we see liturgical abuses happening today at Mass. You know, look, look, look. Everybody wants to blame Vatican II. You know what? The spirit of Vatican II is what they wrote. Read the documents. Sacrosanic Concilium, paragraph 22, subsection 3 says, No one, not even the priests, may add, remove, or change anything in the liturgy on their own authority. But yet, despise corrections from the church, despite... Um, uh, documents by John Paul II. He, he issued a wonderful document, Liturgicum Authenticum, uh, where he talks about uh, authentic liturgical, you know, here's the things we need to be doing at Mass to make sure that we have proper reverence and honor for God during the sacrifice. And despite all, despite rubrics and revisions, despite all of that, we still see people taking liberties with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And just like Paul was angry here, Quite frankly, we all get upset with it. Why is it this being stopped? Why is there something being done about this? You know, uh, so I, I feel the same way that Paul's feeling here. No, no question about it. Then we get into verse 23. Now, this is the first place that we see in the scriptures, in the, in the early church, where what happened at the Last Supper? Wait, what do you mean, deacon? There's, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that comes before Corinthians. But remember, Paul was writing before the Gospels were written. So this is the first account where we have what happened at the Last Supper. And it's beautiful, it says, Paul says, for I received from, after, after he issues the rebuke, for, he reminds them why they're there. I received from the Lord why I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, Eucharistane in Greek, Eucharistain. So the word Eucharist means to give thanks. And after he had Eucharist, after he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body. Now we're going to be looking at Luke twenty two nineteen 19 in a future 
episode of Word of God Wednesday. And we're going to break that wide open to show when Jesus said those words, he meant it literally. And there's no other interpretation you can make except literal. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also the cup. After supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. We're going to be taking a look at why Jesus said those words going all the way back uh, to Exodus chapter 24. This cup uh, uh, is a new covenant in my blood. Do Again, the new covenant in my blood. Right, because we we're going to look at the, the concept of the old covenant in the blood, but how Christ fulfills the covenant in its fullness in His blood on the cross. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. Again, not when you do this, remember Me. There's a reason why Jesus said those words in that order. We'll be looking at that in the future Word of God Wednesday. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That is a line that we say at every Mass. And, you know, it's the memorial acclamation after the first part of the Eucharistic prayer, after the institution narrative. Let us proclaim the mystery of faith. This is one of the responses. It comes right from St. Paul, right from the Bible, right from God's Word. So our Mass is intimately and intricately connected with the word of God. The mass is not just made up. One of the books I have is called The Mass in Sacred Scripture, where it goes through every line of the mass and shows where every line of the mass comes from the Bible. We Catholics are drowning in Scripture. We are soaking in the word of God. We are immersed in God's words. Almost every word that comes out of our mouth at mass is from the Bible. We are a biblical church. No question. No doubt about it. Then now, okay, now Paul gets back into it. Paul gets back into it. Verse 27. Whoever therefore, this is strong, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Okay, well, let's, let's stop here for a second. What? Okay, if we believe that the, the bread and the wine are no longer bread and wine, although uh, uh, the, the, the accident of what, the, uh, of what looks like bread and looks like wine, the accidents are still there, but the substance, the nature and being of what that bread and wine is, is gone. It's just the body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus. If that's true, why does Paul use the word drink the cup, eat the bread after the consecration? Okay, so... Paul was not using the language of philosophy yet. See, what the church has done over the years, we've borrowed language from philosophy in order to more clearly articulate what we believe theologically. Right? So, um, one of the great documents of John Paul II, Fides et Ratio, Faith and Reason, where, we, where, where John Paul II clearly shows how we use language. Like, like, like uh, the way he describes it, philosophy is the daughter of theology. In, fa in fact, um, seminarians, uh, their first year, of, well, actually, they have to take philosophy first before they start their theological studies. All seminarians have to take philosophy first so they can get the, the philosophical grounding and underpinning of where we have that language, so the language of substance and accidents that St. Thomas Aquinas uses, he uses from Aristotle. That was a language that Aristotle used to describe uh, substances and accidents and natures and beings. 
And so that language wasn't being used in the early church. So when Paul says bread, he obviously he's not just meaning bread because he says it's the Lord's Supper. He says, this is my body, this is my blood. He repeats the words of Jesus at the Last Supper. So yes, he's not borrowing that language of philosophy yet. So that's why he still says bread and, and cup. But here's the point. If you, if you therefore eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, if you will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. So if this were just regular bread and wine, how was that able to profane the body and blood of the Lord? How can mere bread and wine profane anything? It's just bread and wine. But if it's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and you receive that unworthily, you try to receive Jesus Christ in a state of mortal sin, where you cut yourself off from God's life, and you try to put Christ into your body, that's like trying to feed uh, 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 something healthy to a corpse. You can't do it. This is, this is how strong Paul's rebuke is here. He goes, let a man examine himself. Ah, examination of conscience. Gee, the church didn't make that up. It's right here in the word of God. You have to examine your conscience. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. All right, that, that, ooh, that's strong language there. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Wow, Paul. Man, that, that is one of the strong, again, why is he so strong? Because it's an abuse against the Eucharist. It's an abuse against the body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus. That's why Paul is so upset. You know, um. Uh, so two things here to kind of to, to, to round off this discussion here uh, as we near the end of our time together. Two things. One, there are many things at Mass, quite frankly, because I'm in a different parish somewhere in the world every week. Okay? I, I'm somewhere in, in the world every week. So, yes, I see things. I just, I wince. I grimace. I say, oh, boy, okay, I'm just here for a couple days and I'm gone. Things that happen at Mass. And I, and I, I quite like I, I I put up with it, you know, because um, I'm only there for a few days. But what I will not, will not tolerate are abuses against the Eucharist. I will not do that. So if someone tries to walk away holding the host in their hand or if they're, you know, walking away and they're playing with it or something, like, oh, no, 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 I will run you down. You will not dishonor. Our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament. We have to be careful now, too. Um, we have, uh, you know, and we've seen this more and more. Wiccans and witches and warlocks and the, the devil worshipers coming to Mass. They receive in the hand and they try to take it out of the church. They, 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 they come up with a mask on and they open the mask and they put the Eucharist inside the mask without actually putting it in their mouth. And they walk out to use it for their, 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 uh, their black mass uh, ceremonies, worshiping the devil. We have to be careful and alert. And we have to also be careful with our language. After the consecration, you can't say bread minister, you're the cup minister. Or, no, 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 no. You are an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. So either you're an ordinary minister, a bishop, priest, or a deacon, 
or you're an extraordinary minister, the first of which are the instituted acolytes, or maybe you are designated after training, God willing, you're receiving some training, to be an extraordinary minister of holy communion. You are not a Eucharistic minister. The only Eucharistic ministers are priests. I am not a Eucharistic minister as a deacon. Only priests. All right. So the second thing is trying to receive the Eucharist without going to confession first. Look, John Paul II states very clearly, I therefore desire to reaffirm that in the church there remains in force now and in the future the rule by which the Council of Trent gave concrete expression of the Apostle Paul's stern warning when it affirmed that in order to receive the Eucharist in a worthy manner, one must first confess one's sins when one is aware of mortal sin. So you just can't say, well, I'm a good person. I'm going to receive the Eucharist. No, you have to be in a state of grace. The Eucharist is for the living. The sacrament of reconciliation is for the dead. So you cannot mock God and make fun of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by coming up to receive him in the Eucharist and thinking he can do something for you when, when you have not confessed mortal sin first. So, something to think about. So, tomorrow's topic of the show is discerning God's will. Oh, we're going to dive into that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Now, remember, you can stream today's show. Uh, just visit Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. That's EWTN.com slash radio. And so may Almighty God bless you and keep you till we are together again, my friends, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.